welcome to the Artist Appeals. This is Erin Sparler, and I'm your host. In the Artist Appeals, we interview artists, crafters, photographers, and business professionals about the business of art. I hope you'll join us and enjoy the show. Do you have an Etsy shop? Perhaps you're interested in starting a workshop studio. In this episode, we talk to a lady who has both. She has an Etsy shop that's been online since 2007. She's sold thousands of items through her Etsy shop. And she has a in-home workshop in her basement that she just recently remodeled and is gorgeous. The walls are lined with boxes of oddities and feathers and trinkets and beads that you can work with. And nearly every weekend, and sometimes during the week, she hosts teachers and artists from around the world at her house in her studio that you can take personalized classes with. They're hands-on, and then you have a potluck lunch where you can socialize with other students and with the teacher. Her events are amazing. She's had offers to sell her Etsy shop, and she's not selling. So if you want to learn about how to grow your business and have and host artists from around the world, as well as build an Etsy shop, please allow me to introduce you to Jean, the owner of Charmed I'm Sure Studios. Hi. Good morning. (laughs) This is Jean, and we're here today in Charmed I'm Sure Studios, interviewing Jean. I love your new studio. It's so cool. Thank you. Jean just reconfigured her studio and... I would call this just a marvelous place to create. It is so wonderful. It's a jewelry studio, although you host all sorts of different classes here, right? It's mostly jewelry. Yeah. Enameling, jewelry, arts, that kind of thing. Things related to jewelry arts. Right. So let's start with a question about how you got to this place and this space. What is your backstory? How did you come to be? Well, I, I was an eighth grade English teacher for 34 years. I say in my biography, I was trained as a teacher, but I've been an artist all my life. So there's always been art in there somewhere there had to be. And after I retired in 2004, I decided to turn part of the walkout basement into a little studio for me for my retirement for the rest of my life to be able to have a place to create. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit bigger than a retirement studio now. (laughs) No worries. We have a lovely cat chewing on her cords. (laughs) She's so sweet. What's her name? That's Francesca. Francesca. And so I made it bigger than I needed to make it just to be, you know, roomy and that kind of thing. (laughs) And now you've already had to expand. But something happened after I created the studio and people started to come. And uh, I've followed that ever since. I haven't tried to develop a, a studio for other people. But that's what it's turned into. Yeah. This year, I guess this is my eighth year, I have 55 days of teaching here of not just me. In fact, I teach very few classes anymore. I'm mostly the hostess for classes. You're the hostess with the mostest. The hostess with the mostest. (laughs) I guess so. I don't know. Oh, you put on such a wonderfully comfortable workshop of the potluck lunches. They're just so communal. That's my favorite part. I love the lunches, and and it always works out. 
what people bring is always a nice array of things to eat. It's not all desserts, although one time it was all desserts, but most of the time it's main courses and salads and, you know. I think I'd be okay with all desserts. Yeah. <laughs> so you made this for your retirement, but what led you into jewelry making? Oh my. Well, after I retired, I realized that, you know, there's a limited amount of time left in your life, whatever is given to you. Yeah. And I wanted to find the thing that lit me up, was the thing that gave me the most joy. So I started to take classes at places like Art and Soul Retreat. Mm -hmm. uh, they you have still go there every I year, right? I still teach there. Yeah. yeah. Although this year I've slowed down a good bit because of all the demands that a studio brings. Yeah. You know, we should stop and mention the name of your studio. It's Charmed I'm Sure Studio in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And I want to know how you came up with that name because it's a great name. I was the proctor of a group called Charmsters hmm. for a long time where people who didn't know each other would get together online and everyone would sign up for a certain swap and eight people in the swap, everyone would make eight charms and then send them out to the moderator. And she would then put them all together and send them out to the group. And then we'd share pictures of what we made with them. Oh, that's and that a cool idea. So the, the word Charmsters was the beginning. And from there, I just came up with Charmed, I'm sure, Studio. It's a great name. I love that concept of swapping charms. Were they for a bracelet, like a charm bracelet? That would be a good class, come to think of it, where everyone designed a charm. Yeah. I had one of those charm bracelets as a girl. You know, my grandmother would buy me the little charms. Yeah, but to have me too. To made handmade, custom-made charms on yeah. a charm bracelet, just that ups the, yeah. it ups it, that nostalgia and that beautifulness. Well, very cool. So what led you to decide? Was there a defining event or time or something that occurred that kind of showed you, oh, this moment, this jewelry is what lights me up? Like, oh, do you remember yeah. that okay. moment? So there were a number of types of art that I was drawn to. Yeah. And I decided to take classes at these retreats yeah. to, to kind of narrow it down and focus on one path. Originally, I thought that I wanted to do painting on fabric. And there's an artist in Oregon called, uh, her name is DJ Pettit. And I saw that she was teaching a two-day class on face painting on fabric in Portland, Oregon. And I have a son that lives in Portland. So oh, okay. that, that was a good opportunity to go visit him and take this class. While I was there, I took other classes just to make good use of my time. Yeah. And the last day I was there, and after two days of taking DJ Pettit's class, I realized it wasn't for me. That, mm. that wasn't what was giving me joy. I wasn't good at it. I didn't think that I would pursue it. But the last day I was there, I took an unusual jewelry making class from a lady named Jane Wynn. And she used nails and teeth and, you know, fibers and all kinds of different teeth? wires. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Human teeth? Animal no, teeth? animal teeth. Well, no, I don't know if she used her children's teeth and jewelry and that oh, kind of neat. thing. She has a book out, too, uh -huh. that shows, like, using those little rubber animals and making them look like metal and putting them, incorporating them into <laughs> jewelry. You know, that, that just sort of freed me. Yeah. 
it wasn't I had to make something that looked like somebody else's thing. Yeah, know. it didn't have to be diamonds the and gold. The world just opened up. And I don't think she even teaches anymore, but I've let mm. her know that she really changed my life. And the enameling part came from another class taught by Richard Sally. And part of his class was to torch fire glass on copper. And it just happened. It was my thing. I knew it was my thing. It was first jewelry uh-huh. and then enameling. And I knew that I'd found my, you know, my spot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of artists are looking for their thing. They're looking for their, their path and their one yep. true calling. Was there any fear you had to overcome or, you know, was there anybody or anything that you had to kind of get past in order to make all this come together and happen? Were there any roadblocks that really... Well, I don't know. It, it sort of flowed smoothly. One thing led to another. Once you found it? After I stopped teaching, I didn't think I was going to teach anymore. Right. But after I realized what things I wanted to pursue, there weren't any more classes for me to take in the vein that I wanted to travel. Oh, well, that's a challenge. So I thought, I don't want to stop going to these retreats because they're so wonderful and you connect with so many wonderful people. Here I have this skill to teach people. Yeah. Why don't I teach classes at these art retreats? And so for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years, I've been traveling around the country to teach classes that I've developed. Yeah. How did you develop your first class? How did you decide what you were going to teach, and how did you reach out and teach that first class? That must have been... Well, I I got to know the lady that runs the one retreat, and I proposed it to her Mm -hmm. and showed her what I wanted to teach, and she gave me a chance, and that's where it all started. Yeah. She's a wonderful lady, Glennie Moir, that runs Art and Soul Retreats, and... We're going to be interviewing her. Good. I'm going to be in reviewing her, Very not but not me. <laughs> well, you make sure that you tell her that I appreciate the fact that she gives people a start. Yeah. She's given so many artists a start yeah. in teaching what they do. And she's so modest. Yes, and, she is. You know, I've had to talk her into this podcast, this mm-hmm. forthcoming podcast. She's like, I'm not sure I'm qualified. And like, Glennie, are you crazy? I will see her in a couple of weeks. I'm actually teaching for her at Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. And it'll be my last traveling retreat for a while because there's just too many demands right here. Yeah. For me, there's a lot of preparation people don't understand. Oh, yeah. To teach away from home, you have to ship all your tools and ship all your equipment and prepare yeah. kits for each of your students. How and- many boxes do you take, like... How many do I you use? Tupperwares, like those giant Tupperwares, or what do you ship in? I ship in large flat rate USPS boxes. Mm-hmm. They'll take up to 70 pounds. Oh, nice. And so when I teach four classes at a retreat, I might be shipping eight boxes. Eight 70 pound boxes? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Well, they don't all weigh 70 pounds, but the fact that they're flat rate, you can shift yeah. the weight of tools and things in, yeah. in your different boxes. Yeah, because you have to take a lot of tools for the jewelry making, right? Yeah, I try to, and that's another thing that I always try to provide the basics for the students so they don't have to go out and buy a lot of things and bring it along with them. Yeah. I like people to be able to try certain tools, and I'm a tool distributor and enamel distributor as part of what I do here. 
And if people like what they're using, then they're going to buy it from me. Yeah. You know, that's um, a really wonderful addition to your income. <laughs> Don't worry. She's adorable. <laughs> we have a kitty cat who wants to play with our wires on the table. I wish you guys could see her. You know what? I'll take a picture of her and put it down below so you guys can get a good laugh afterwards. So yeah, you sell tools and you sell enamel and I know you have, oh, I love your inventory in the back. I'm such a geek. I like the way it's all labeled and boxes and it shelves. I'll take organized. a picture of that too. Yeah, it's gotta be organized. But you know, I think this is a good message to artists out there. When it becomes about money, mm -hmm. it loses its pleasure. Yeah. You know, when it becomes about money to me, I'll lose interest. Right. It isn't. It's about education. It's about seeing Sharing. people find what I've found. Yeah. And that is the art that really gives me joy. Yeah. But you have multiple income streams, which I think is also really great advice for artists to not just have all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. I mean, you've got the workshop, but then you do traveling workshops, but then you also provide them with everything they need, the tools, the I enamel. Try, I try to do that. And, you know, we all love a good recommendation. I love, I am so much more inclined to buy something when somebody recommends it because there's so many choices out there. I don't want to have to do all the research and you've already done that for your students. So that's great. I do a lot of playing down here and I love tools and I've got lots of different types of tools. Some I like, some I don't. And you're right, I can help people on their path to buy the right things to make the kind of things that right. so it's another will type be their of, brand. It's, it's another type of sharing. It's another type of education is that you're sharing your experience with the tools and your testing and which ones work and which ones don't. So, well, really cool. What is your goal right now at this point in time? I know that goals change, but what's your goal in what you make and what you're doing? Do you have a, a well, plan? Well, I, I have a website being created right now. It's oh, a new long one. time coming. Yeah. But I have the right people to do it. Mm -hmm. And it will incorporate the studio. It'll incorporate my business of selling tools and jewelry. And it'll also give me an opportunity to sell what I make. Okay. I don't do that except at retreats. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's not my focus is selling the things I make, but I love to make things. I'd mm -hmm. rather make things than any of this other stuff. Yeah, so you don't go to craft fairs. Oh, no. I decided years ago I I didn't have anyone to help me set up tents and, you know, worry about inventory and that kind of stuff. So I never bought a tent. I don't do shows. When I go to a retreat, I'll do the vendor night. Okay. But that's it, you know, just a six-by-eight yeah. table or four-by-eight table of my things and you know people are happy with them i just don't sell my things yeah well and they're all original <laughs> not the mic sweetheart and just mm -hmm. gonna bite the mic <laughs> so you know i think that's interesting because craft shows are what a lot of people kind of aspire to but they're such a big investment such a big investment in time and money and i'm not sure you know and they can get rained out maybe the right crowd's not there a lot of people enjoy it yeah. But that's just not, I can't sit in one spot for eight hours and enjoy myself. Right. I hear you. No, I would get bored too. So um, art, methods, techniques, you are a jewelry artist. You love enameling. I'll never exhaust the possibilities for using enamel. Yeah. 
that's one thing I like about it. I've, I've done other things that, that I thought I've reached my limit on. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever reach my limit with enamels. There's so many cool things that you can do that no one else does. Right. I also use a hydraulic press, which mm. sets anything that I do apart with the enameling that not that many people do and using a hydraulic press to shape metal. My things don't look like anyone else's, and I guess that's one of my goals. To what make things the hydraulic... that nobody's ever seen before. Yeah, what does the hydraulic press do to it um, that makes it so different? You can take a, pla a flat sheet of metal, Yeah. and you can cut shapes out of it with a hydraulic press. Uh -huh. You can press forms of shapes into the metal and then enamel it. Mm -hmm. Use it as components in your, in your work, that kind of thing. Yeah, very cool. And so you don't really have a product line necessarily because you don't make the same thing over and no. over again. But are there certain price points that you try and kind of hit? Like, do you do um, things that are, you know, a low price point, a middle price point, and a high price no, point? Or no. you just. I get an idea in my head and I go make it. Yeah. And then try to think of a a reasonable price for it. Most of my things are under a hundred dollars, uh -huh. but some of the more complicated pieces, and I, I'm learning from the instructors that come in here all the time, all these new ideas to put into my work. So my, my work is more complex now than it used to be. So a few of my pieces run between a hundred and two hundred dollars now. Right. And what do you use for pricing? So you've got your workshop where you have classes, you've got to price those. You've got your products in the back that you've got to price. And then you've got your fine art products. I think artists really have a challenge in learning how to price things. Sometimes we overprice things too high because they are emotionally dear to us. Sometimes we mm -hmm. undervalue mm -hmm. our work. Is there kind of um, a general rule of thumb or formula you use for the different aspects of e your business? Experience has taught me mm -hmm. what sells and what doesn't sell. Yeah. So I'm not a production person. I'm not going to make 20 of the same thing. Yeah. So each piece is unique, one of a kind. And I, I've learned over the years what people will pay for something like that. Yeah. And you, you try it. If it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it gets put aside mm -hmm. and maybe put out later at a different price. Mm -hmm. Do you take into account the materials? Do you keep sure. track of how much it costs you to make the product itself? Yeah, I've been working a lot more with silver now mm -hmm. as uh, bezels and backgrounds and things for the enamel work. Yeah. And that's going to bring the price up. Yeah, you've always got to make sure to cover your costs for the materials, right? Yeah. Or like your distributor for tools and enamel, so you get those at wholesale costs. Do you mm -hmm. double or use 2.5? Um, Usually well, there's a manufacturer's recommended retail price, and that's what I go by. MSRP, right? MSRP? MSRP. Manu I also look at what other sellers are selling things for, the same things. Mm -hmm. For instance, I'm a Eurotool distributor. Oh, okay. And I'm a Thompson Enamel distributor. Mm -hmm. If I see that most people are selling this pair of pliers for $36, I might sell it for $33 yeah. or $32. And that way it gives my customers a break. And people that are doing their, their research and researching the prices will see that my prices are pretty good. So you do your research? Yes. Great. Awesome. You know, the next step in building a business and building 
out any sort of art business is presenting your product. Presenting your product in a way that speaks to the customer and gives them an experience. Do you have any tips or tricks that you like to do in presenting your work? You have a unique medium with the jewelry, you know, and you sell at these um, art, retreats. art retreats and mm -hmm. workshops. They have a vendor day. Do you take display items? Do you um, take lighting? No, I really don't. Mm -hmm. I don't have room to pack. A lot of airlines charge for every extra bag yeah. now, so I don't take anything special. They'll give you a table with a covering, mm -hmm. and I can take mailing boxes and put it underneath the covering and set this up and this lower and this higher and that oh, kind of thing. Oh, that's a tip. That's a, that's a cool idea. Mm -hmm. Mailing boxes, so you haven't taken extra stuff. You're using what you already ship things in. That's right. brilliant to get the different layers and levels. That's right. Very cool. I know you have a really cool shipping station in the back for your supplies. And um, you were one of the first people that ever told me, hey, I throw extra stuff in with my orders. Yeah. I love that idea. Can you talk a little bit about... Um, I found a good source for millefiori, which What's are that? little... They're little pieces of round, flat glass uh -huh. that you can throw into your enameling work that'll drop and spread in with the heated glass. Ooh. And I'll throw a little bag of those in there that people can try to uh, enhance their art. Yeah. Well, I think it's those little bonuses that make it so personal when you buy from a mom and pop, or you know what I mean? So I'm really excited about your new website. I can't wait to see it. Me too. <laughs> it's, it's been, um, we've been working on it for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Two fellows that own an, an art gallery locally also do websites. Mm -hmm. And I had a failed start with someone else last year, or mm. it would have been up and running by now. Oh. And these, these two guys are doing a great job. Oh, excellent. Well, when we educate our audience and when we, you know, you were an educator for 30 years and you're still an educator, and really I think education of your customers is more important than marketing or sales. Like marketing and sales is education. I think a lot of people are intimidated by the terms marketing or sales. But really, if you do it right, if you tell a story and if you educate your audience. That's true. So what kind of stories do you like to tell around your work and your workshops to educate your audience? Well, I had a thought there when you were saying about sales. Yeah. My dad had a small business in a small town. And he taught me that it's the customer that's your business. It's not what you're selling. You have to cater to your customer. You have to make them happy. And that's my focus. I talk to people. I help educate them yeah. about, you know, I'll get people that say, well, I don't know what colors to buy. And I'll say to them, look at the color chart. Look at the colors that jump out at you. Those are the colors you want to buy. Mm -hmm. Those are the colors that are going to end up being your brand. I'm a green-blue kind of a person and really have to pull myself away from Me too, actually. Colors. And, you know, maybe someone else are yellows and reds. Yeah. I can't tell them to buy blues and greens because I like them. You said you have a new website coming mm -hmm. and that you use Facebook and Instagram and MailChimp. Let's start there. Okay. Um, when I first started hosting classes here, 
I'd have a group of people that wanted me to send emails when there was going to be a class. And once I got over maybe 20 people, my email provider is AOL. AOL would mark me as a spammer and shut me down because I had more than 20 people in an email. So I had to figure, how are we going to get around that? And I found MailChimp. A friend used MailChimp, and she showed me how to use it. And on there, you can also post the class, not just to people on your mailing list, but you can post it on Facebook, you can post it on Twitter, you can post it on Instagram, just by checking off those boxes and adding an image and yeah. a little text. And yeah. And MailChimp's free up to 2,000 subscribers. Yeah, I'm beyond that now. <laughs> I have 450-some people that have asked to be on the mailing list. Wow. And if I send out maybe three classes in one day, that exceeds their limit. And so I think it's like $10 a month. Pretty cheap, still pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah. You said that MailChimp now will allow you to post to Facebook too. I didn't know they did that. Yes. So yeah. you share your your class through MailChimp on the email and then you send it to Facebook as well. It, MailChimp sends it. That's yes. great because that saves you less time. You don't have to do double. Right. And you said you have um, some great new artists coming uh, one from Australia, one from New Hampshire. And um, how do you connect with these these people? Well, because I have been involved with art retreats for the last 10 years, maybe, I've learned to know these people. It's part of the joy of going to these art retreats is meeting these really cool, creative people and sharing yeah. ideas and, you know, sitting down for dinner with them and that kind of thing. And and I might ask them, would you like to come to Pennsylvania and teach? Yeah. And so that's how I get a lot of my artists because I know them. Yeah. I yeah. know who's popular. Yeah. How much coordination does it take to... Um, oh I mean, that's got to be a lot of coordination. <laughs> it does. You know, telling them what you have here, what they need to bring. I have an email all made up and it tells what the studio has to offer. I provide lodging free lodging for the instructor. Yeah, you now have kind of a, a B&B thing. Uh, you have three bedrooms upstairs? Or? I have four bedrooms upstairs that oh, wow. we don't ever use. Yeah. Um, so you make two or three of them available to guests? Mm -hmm. So yeah, cool. I do. And people like that because then they don't have to get a hotel. And Some people would rather be in a hotel. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But there are other people who think it's really cool to stay here and the instructor's staying here and, yeah. you know, we all go out to dinner together. And One thing I do with the classes is a, a potluck lunch. Yeah. Everybody brings something to enjoy for lunch and we have a little downtime with the instructor yeah. sitting out on the deck or in the kitchen and enjoying lunch. Yeah, I've been to m multiple, multiple of your classes. And in fact, this was the first place that really gave me the impetus to start iConnect Crafts is you oh, looked good. at me and you said, oh, did you know the person you're sitting next to owns a, a craft studio? You mm -hmm. should talk to her. And she said, oh, yeah, do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, the connections you make, I really think it's about networking. It's about those personal connections, and they just amplify each other. They just build on each other. They do. Yeah, it's amazing. So licensing and contracts, this actually is a, a good segue to contracts and the the protection stuff so you've got this got rooms your teachers can come and stay with you and you also rent out rooms you've got this gorgeous studio but you've also got some dangerous materials here what 
kind of contracts do you use with your teachers and how do you protect yourself and the studio? I don't worry about the protection. No. I just don't. It's interesting you should mention how do you coordinate with the different instructors. Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason as to what instructors will ask for in order to come and teach a class. Yeah. Local instructors, for example, will have a flat fee that they want. Like, I would like to get $75 a student. Uh-huh. And then I'll tack a little bit onto that. Yeah. And it's pretty easy. Yeah. But then another instructor will want a per diem amount. Maybe this instructor will want $550 a day. And that same instructor might expect travel in advance mm-hmm. to buy their plane ticket. It, so some of the classes diem? get pretty pricey. Yeah. What does per diem mean for? Per day. Per day, okay. And then I have other other <laughs> instructors who want X number of dollars per student. Uh-huh. So they want like a guarantee. They want a guarantee. And I always ask for a minimum and a maximum number of students by a certain date. If we, uh-huh. if we get that amount, then we proceed. Right. If we don't get amount, then that amount, then I'll refund the students and explain that we just didn't get enough students to justify that instructor yeah. traveling. So do you get all that in writing, though? No. So you track all the... No. No. Nope. But you have emails, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it is in writing, but it's not in, like, a legal document. In, and... in the new website, there will be a page where I connect with the instructor. Mm-hmm. They'll actually have a login. Okay. And then I have certain questions that I ask. How much do you expect to be reimbursed for this class? Is there any travel that you expect me to reimburse? And that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's really interesting that there's no set standard for what... There's not, not. Right. I'll have to sit down with my husband, who's more of a numbers person than I am, Yeah. and say, okay, here I have this instructor that expects to be paid $550 a day, and she also wants $550 in travel mm-hmm. for one shot, Yeah. you know, or 57 cents a mile from Vermont. Right. And back. And so then you've got to calculate. Then you've got to calculate that. But the thing is, then I have to calculate how many students I feel I can get. Mm -hmm. Anything under that, and I'll be losing money. Anything over that, then I'll be making money. Right. But again, I'm not a money person, and I don't do it for the money. But because I need to please my husband, I need to at least be have it as a profitable business and not right. no I think it's right. important that it be and not just you've got fun. to stay in what is it called staying in the black staying in the black you know if you're not in the black you're you're losing money and you're eventually gonna well that's an indication to me that it's being successful yeah not that I'm pocketing money but that things are working Growing. yeah so you sit down with your husband and discuss the details, like, each month, each week? Do you guys kind of do, like, a... Um, I only get him involved when the, it's an outside instructor and there's a lot of money involved mm-hmm. with what they want. Mm-hmm. So he'll say, okay, you think you can get six students and the instructor expects you to pay him or her $2,700 when they mm-hmm. walk out the door. Yeah. Which I do, by the way. I always pay my instructors the day they leave. Mm-hmm. These other big venues don't do that. Oh, really? They can take up to two and a half months. Oh, so like a net 30 or a net 60? Right. Wow. One venue where I teach in Philadelphia, they have 45 working days mm-hmm. to pay the instructors. Wow. 
And that's a lot of time. Yeah. That's a lot of investment that the instructors have to make before they get paid. Yeah. But hmm. I, pay, I pay my instructors the daily leave. Yeah. That's nice. So they have cash in their pocket mm-hmm. and for travel, and that's, that's nice. And they don't have to nag you, and you don't have to worry about oh, it either. No, no, no. Because I've, I am an instructor. I know how important it is yeah. to be paid for what you did when you did it. Right, right. So um, how do you measure success, Jean? I think it's something that we as artists forget to do. You know, I know I'm guilty of having these things that are good, like getting featured in a magazine or something, and then just kind of glossing over it and just keeping going and not celebrating. How do you measure success? And um, Like I said before, it's not money. If, yeah. it, if it was money, it, the, the joy of it would disappear for me. Right. The fact that someone is learning something that they can take and use and make their lives better, Yeah. that's success to me. Yeah. If I wear a piece of jewelry and someone admires it, a piece of jewelry that I've made, that's success to me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll even ask if it's for sale, and that's success too. And do you celebrate those little successes? Do you stop and register them, write them down, go out to dinner? No. No, no not, not usually. I just go back and make something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's the reward, making something new. Yeah. And just, when you have new space for it. My favorite thing is just making things. Yeah. Me too. I do love making. Are there any stories you like to tell around your work? Are there any like, oh, I don't know, stories that you find yourself telling over and over again about the work? Give me an example. Well, just uh, how do I explain? Yeah, that's a good question. So like marketing and sales, we think it's a horrible, nasty, yucky, sleazy thing. But stories, stories are the foundation of human connection, right? And when we make a piece of art, we're putting a little story in it. I kind of believe that there's a story behind every piece of art. And sometimes when you've got a really strong theme like you do with the enameling and stuff, there might become like a underlying theme that almost carries underneath all of them. Are there any stories that like, or just randomly, are there any stories you want to tell our audience about a piece? Because I can take a picture and put it down below. I mean, is there like a favorite piece you have maybe? that just really brings back memories and and creates an experience, a story for you? I'd like to work with enamel. Yeah. And all the different unusual things you can do with enamel. And I I ran across a picture of something another artist did. Her name was Janine Gibbons, and she's from Alaska. She's a native Alaskan. Oh, I love her style. And she did things with enamel that I had never seen before. And I stopped what I was doing, and for a, a couple of months... All I did was work with the enamels that I have to try to get the same type of look that she had with enamels. They move and spread almost like the, um, the paint that people use now that, what, oh, I can't even think what it's called, where the paint opens up and moves into big bubbles. And oh, yeah, the pouring, the acrylic pours. The acrylic pours, and she got enamels to look like that. Oh, wow. And I experimented. I had little pieces of paper all over the tables and little little examples, and I would take a picture of the piece of paper with the process that I used until I found something that I thought might be how you achieve that same yeah. result. And I've taught many classes in using it. 
Have you ever reached out to her and gone to you know, maybe study with her? I, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to ask her how she does it. Okay. The joy is trying to figure it out yourself. Yeah. If she told me, I'd lose interest. Ah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for that magic formula yeah. that'll make enamels move and flow in yeah. the way that she does. Do it for the process. I've asked her to come here and teach too, and she's she's not interested in teaching at this point. Oh, okay. So but she I just does it, does it for the love. She does it, for, yeah. She mm. does, and she and her her things sell quite well. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to check out her work. We'll have to provide a link maybe down below. Okay. Okay. Well, we're coming towards the end, and I like to close with a question about books. Are there any books you love and you would recommend? Any books you would like give as a Christmas present or books that you go back to time and time again <laughs> as a reference? Well, there's uh, Linda Darty's The Art of Enameling. That's kind of the Bible for enameling. Yeah. It's a self-published book and she really went into great detail. The simple things, the complicated things, it's, it's really the Bible for enamelists. But there's another book that's very interesting. It's called How to Steal Like an Artist. I've heard of that one. It's fabulous. I mean, if you take a class from someone and you admire what they do, yeah. you don't want to go home and reproduce that same thing to look like theirs. No. You want to take the essence of what they taught you and make it your own. Yeah. For example, Susan Leonard Kasmer was just here teaching. She taught two sets of three-day classes and was wonderful, packed the studio for all, all of it. And she is making out of silver nail head wires. Oh, yeah? And using them to wrap things and, you know, that kind of thing. So I thought, I want to I make some nail head wires and incorporate it into a piece that doesn't look like hers, that it looks like mine. Yeah. You know, it's honoring her to use what she's teaching you, but dishonoring her to make things look like Susan Leonard Kasmer's work. Yeah, trying to imitate her. Right. And that's hard for a lot of artists. Mm -hmm. How do you take what you've learned from someone else and make it your own? Yeah, that is a good question. I really believe in, um, I've been doing this 365 project, and actually I'm on the second year, so I'm approaching 720, where you just start with one core theme. So I just started with drawing an end, so a circle, simple circle. And then I've expanded that, you know, and tested different things out. And I think if you take a basic process, a really foundational process, and start with it and just start adding one thing at a time, one thing at a time, trying something new with it, I think that's how you develop something new. You know, so if you found an artist that you love a technique, start with that technique, but then change it a little bit here, change it a little bit here, change it a little bit here. I mean, that's what you're doing with the, the enamel, right? When yes. you were trying to discover this process, you learned a process, but then you expand, expand, expand. I'll, I'll send you this picture and maybe you can show it to your audience. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a piece I did with the nail heads that is, it's, I feel... I, great. I take great pleasure in feeling that that is my design, mm -hmm. but it uses what I learned from Susan Leonard Kasman. Yeah, it's kind of edgy. It's kind of... Um, I, I like to make edgy things. Yeah. It's a little uh, steampunk, except it's not the brass. It's silver, and, and you know, it's, it's neat. I like it. It's got nails. 
uh, half a dozen, no, dozen nails in the center of a circle, and then the background of the circle is enameled with mm -hmm. reds and blues and speckles, kind of almost like a mother of pearl. It's in, really beautiful. In this piece, I've incorporated the work of a number of different people that yeah. I've learned from. Yeah. Anne Havel, Susan Leonard Kasmer, Nancy Sacco, and, you, and soldering the silver, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. I mean, we are a compilation of the people that we've learned from. Yeah. You know, there's a great TED talk about there's nothing original in this world. It's all how we take original thought from other people and make a new original thought from it, but there's nothing truly, truly, you know, original. It's we don't like create music. it. Yeah, yeah. The same themes in music have been around for. Yeah, we don't create it in a vacuum. You can't create it in a vacuum. So, well, excellent. We will put links to all these people we've talked about, your studio, your workshops, and when your new website's up, of course, your new website, all your social media presences. I, I have a website address. It's just not operating yet. Oh, well, give it to us. Um, it would be www.enamel-warehouse.com. Oh, okay. Charmed, I'm sure, Studios was It's part of that. Okay. I realized when the business started to get big. Yeah. I was selling on, I still am selling on Etsy. Uh-huh. Etsy does not allow you to transfer your business. Ugh. So the business is big enough now that I just don't want to let it drop. Mm -hmm. Someone somewhere down the line will probably want to buy it, and that means I have to be legitimate with a website and paperwork and you yeah. know, that kind of thing. I forgot. I think you mentioned last time we talked that a couple of people had already made you offers yeah. to try and buy the business from you. How does that work? I mean, I don't see how well, you even could. There are people out there who will try to absorb your business for as little money as they possibly need uh-huh. I'm not ready to do that yeah. yet. I know the well, business Well, you are is, the business. The, the studio's in your house. You're the networker. Right. But for the enamel business, for example, oh, and the tool business. I see. It's a good business. Yeah. It's going to be worth something yeah. with the right materials that go with it. The infrastructure. The infrastructure. Exactly. Yeah. The website, the paperwork, the the bills, how much I pay for supplies, how much I sell things for, what the income per week is, that mm -hmm, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The monthly expenses. And that's a profit and loss statement. That's the business end that we're trying to get at with this podcast is the business end of our... I'm not that good at that. I'm good at the hosting and the teaching and the creating. Mm -hmm. But that other part takes a different kind of brain. It's hard. I it think it's hard, hard for all of us. Do you have an accountant that you work with? <laughs> no, or, <okay>. I don't. <laughs> I struggle with that part. Ah, uh, me too. Me too. Uh, I have a good lawyer. I have a good copyright lawyer that she's the best. But Well, great. It's been so awesome talking to you. Thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. And um, Thank you for having me, Erin. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Well, that's it for the Artist Appeals. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed recording it. I just love talking with all these artists and business people. It's phenomenal, and I've learned so much. I hope you've learned something, too. You can get more information. You can check out some of the links that we talked about in these podcasts at theartistappeals.com. That's the artist appeals, A-P-P-E-A. 
L-S.com. Thanks and have a good one.